So, such a blessing to be here with you all. Um, I just got back from two weeks in India, and I have to say that I love listening to worship music in Hindi, but I don't understand a word of it. So to sit here for worship today was amazing, just being able to sing songs that I could see the words. I learned that in um, India, when they sing our songs in Hindi, I don't know the words. I, I don't know. Do you guys remember the words? I couldn't remember any words. So to have them up on the screen, to be able to read them, what a blessing. Um, so I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. We're going to be spending time in John chapter 6. So if you'd like to turn there, John chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 41 through 59. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting in our backyard, and we were talking about how much people complain about things, how much they complain about their work, how much they complain about their lack of wealth, and how much they complain about politics, and all this complaining. And then I finally realized that I was complaining about people complaining. Um, And it's kind of a natural human condition that we complain about things. And so this evening, we're going to look at a passage that shows us that the Jews complained a lot. And what they complained about was when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, the word I am is an important word in Greek. It's ego ami, and we're going to see why that's important in a few minutes. But when he declared this, it's the first of seven I am statements that Jesus will make. And each time Jesus uses the I am statement, the Jews complained. And so um, it's interesting because here Jesus himself in John chapter 10 says, I have come to give them that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So here Jesus came to the Jews. He's in, he's in the um, synagogue in Capernaum. He's preaching. He's, he's coming to them that they may have abundant life. But they said, Jesus, you are not our man. Moses is our man. And so they were complaining about Jesus, declaring that he is the bread of life. You see, to the Jews, Moses was the man. Moses was the man whom God used to deliver the children of Israel, from the bondage of slavery of the Egyptians. Moses was the man who cried out to God about the oppression, and God heard him and and sent Moses out to deliver them. Moses was the man who asked God, who should I tell the people who you are? And God declared, tell them, I am who I am. And he said, thus you should say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So here we have the original I am statement, Yahweh declaring that he is God. And now Jesus is declaring, I am God. I am the bread of life. So it is no wonder that the Jews complained about those words in which Jesus shared. Jesus' point in this passage today is that Moses was indeed a great man. God used Moses in a mighty way in delivering the children of Israel, from the bondage of slavery. But his point here is that Jesus, the Son of Man, the great I Am, has done a greater thing in delivering all people from the slavery and the bondage of sin. Isn't that awesome? God, through his Son, Jesus, has delivered us from sin. So in the passage before us today, we're going to look at four reasons why the Jews complained. Now, I must warn you, 
that in these four reasons, we will find many reasons why we complain. It was a little convicting to me. Uh, so I'm just giving you a warning. But not only are we going to see these four reasons, we are going to learn how to move from a life of complaining to a life of communion that we might experience that abundant life. So let's pray and we'll jump into John chapter 6. Father, we again are so thankful for the word of God and we're so thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, for the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts today, to give us a greater understanding of how we can live the abundant life in which you came to give. So, Lord, teach us through the power of your spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. May it open our eyes to a greater understanding of who you are. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that we're going to see here in the life of complaining is they looked at Jesus from a human perspective. They looked at Jesus from a human perspective. Verses 41 and 42. The Jews then murmured against him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? So the first thing that we see here is that the Jews were looking at Jesus from a human perspective. You can almost see their reaction as they turned to one another and would, with their cynical looks and their calloused hearts and saying, What does he mean? What is he talking about? How can anybody come down from heaven? How is that possible? We know this, Jesus. He just lives over the hill in Nazareth. He's just like us. And so, so many people today have a life of complaining because they look at Jesus with the wrong perspective. They look at him from a human perspective, like he's just like us. They immediately immediately forgot all the wonderful things Jesus had said and done. Leading up to this point, he had fed the thousands. He had walked on water. He had healed the multitudes. He had done all these miraculous things, and yet they looked at him and said, he's just like us. And that's a sad thing in our culture today that many people look at Jesus and say, oh yeah, he was a great man but he was not the son of God. And so when we look at him from a human perspective, we begin to complain about life in itself. Like the Jews, some Christians don't take the time to or truly believe all the word of God has to say. They don't take the time to take it in and let them contemplate those things. They also forgot the prophet Isaiah when he said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is to say, God with us. 750 years before Christ declared these words, and yet they had forgotten those words. The second reason they complained is because they looked at Jesus from an intellectual perspective. Look in verses 43 through 47. 
Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Man, I just love the way Jesus speaks. He makes it so clear and to the point. But see, they were looking at Jesus from an intellectual perspective. You see, it's not merely enough to hear about Jesus or to read about Jesus. There have been more movies, more books, more podcasts, more anything that you can imagine about Jesus, and yet here we are, people not believing in Jesus. The reason, the reason for this is hearing and watching are not enough. It's not enough just to hear and to watch and to read. It's not enough to have just an intellectual understanding who Jesus is. There's much more that is required to experiencing the abundant life. And he says, understanding comes by being drawn by the Father and being taught by God. Being drawn by the Father and being taught by God. So many of us say, oh, I found Jesus. So often we think that we have chosen Jesus, but Jesus himself said, you did not choose me, I chose you. God has drawn you and me to himself. By the work of the Holy Spirit, he's drawn us into himself. And he goes on to say, not only does God draw us, he teaches us. I was reminded, well, you haven't got there yet, in John chapter 14, when Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. I love this verse because it's so true. The Holy Spirit teaches us as we're reading the word, as we're hearing the word, he teaches us, he reveals things to us, and he never stops doing it. I had the pleasure of serving under Pastor Chuck for many years in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I'll never forget him saying, I've been teaching the Bible for 50 years, and I'm still learning new things. Isn't that awesome? To know that the Word of God is, it can't be known in in its entirety until we're face-to-face with Jesus. You see, this is not an intellectual perspective of believing Jesus. He draws us. He teaches us. All we need to do is to believe in God. I had, I had the privilege of coming Friday night and sitting in with the high school students as Matt took us through the definition, or excuse me, as Will took us through the definition of faith. And he did such a great job bringing to the point that the word faith means belief and trust. It's the same Greek word, pistuos. And when we, when we see those words, it's, it's more than just a belief. The devils or the demons believed. It's more than it's putting a faith. It's putting trust in him. When we put our faith and we put our trust in Jesus is when we begin to live and experience that abundant life. He draws us, he teaches us, and all we need to do is trust him. 
So the third reason that they complained about Jesus is they looked at Jesus from a wrong perspective. Look at verses 48 through 50. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Man, Jesus just kind of takes it and he just turns the knob up a little bit. You see, they had a wrong perspective of Moses. They had a wrong perspective of the manna that was sent into the wilderness. Moses was able to deliver them from the bondage of slavery, a physical bondage. And he was able, and God brought down the manna from heaven in which they ate. But only Jesus can give that eternal life. Manna kept them alive physically, but it wasn't able to help them spiritually or eternally. Only Jesus can do that. This is the reality. We are all headed towards physical death. I just had my 63rd birthday. And um, my wife was kind enough to remind me when I got up in the morning. She says, why do you always groan when you get out of bed? It's because I'm getting older. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he talks about all creation groans. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's true. And the older we get, inevitably, we're all going to see death physically. But Jesus isn't talking about just a physical death here. He's also talking about a spiritual death. You see, if we don't believe in Jesus, there's a spiritual death, a a final separation between God and man. We're all headed toward physical death and spiritual death if we don't put our belief in Jesus. When the Lord intervenes, as he has in all of our lives, he he draws us, he teaches us, we believe in him, we begin to look at Jesus with the right perspective. But looking at him in a wrong perspective is where we begin that life of complaining. And this is what Jesus is saying. He is saying that he is the bread of heaven, that he is the giver of life, he is the giver of real life, the only life that can overcome death This is Jesus' claim. And that's what he's saying here. This leads us to the fourth and final complaint made by the Jews in verses 51 through 52. And this is a big one. Because they looked at Jesus from their own perspective. They said this, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which shall give for the life of the world. Those are some pretty shocking words just to us as we read them. He's the bread of life. He is, we're to consume of his flesh. This has caused controversy over many, many years. These words are may have been the most offensive words a Jew could have heard in that day. If they were to take them literally, as they were taking them literally, they would have been offended. And down in verse um, 60, it says that it's a hard saying. Who can understand it? And we'll get into that next week. But this is where they were. They would have been offended by the Jew. How can we eat a man's flesh? Does he think we're cannibals? 
is, is that something that we would do, Jesus? Is that what you mean? And this is why it was a hard saying. But what Jesus was saying to them was not only hard for them, it was hard for them because it was their own perspective. They were looking at it from their perspective and not from his. From their perspective, they were good people. They were doing all the right things. They were living a righteous life. They were good people doing good things. And that's all they needed to do. What are you talking about, Jesus, in eating your flesh? They loved God. They lived according to the law. But here they are complaining about life. You see, they weren't experiencing the abundant life. The law can't give you abundant life. Living a good life won't give you abundant life. Only Jesus can give you the abundant life. And he's saying that we must eat of its flesh. The thing about the abundant life, the thing about the abundant life that people don't like is that you have to die first. You have to die to self. You have to die to self and say, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It has to come to that place of understanding who Jesus is and what he has for us. It's interesting that Jesus made it perfectly clear that he shall give for the life of the world. That word shall means he must. It's not I should or I could. It's a must. So, How is Jesus going to give his flesh for us to eat? He's going to lay down his life for sinners. That's what he's saying. He's saying, man, I'm going to lay down my life for you. My flesh is going to be consumed because of your sins. I love that picture of him on the cross. The moment that Jesus said, um, it is finished, was the moment that great exchange happened in our hearts when Our sins, the sins of the world, came upon him, and his righteousness was imputed upon us. And Jesus did it. He must do it. He's going to take the sins of the world upon himself so that the world will not have to suffer from the separation of sin from Christ himself. He is going to do it. And guess what? He did it. He did exactly what he's declaring here. He laid down his life. He was crucified on his cross. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to the disciples for many days after that. He sent the help of the Holy Spirit. And here we are today, thousands of years later, reaping the benefit of looking at Jesus with his perspective and not our own perspective. What must we do to experience the abundant life. Before we move on to this next section, I just, as we are going through these, these reasons for complaining that Jesus was looked at from a human perspective and from um, an intellectual perspective, a wrong perspective, their own perspective, as we, as we look at these things, we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we looking at Jesus with any of those perspectives? How can I tell? your life is dead. If you're looking at Jesus with the wrong perspective, your life is dead. That means that there's a life of complaining that is going on. Now, I think that we all experience that a time or two. We're we're human, after all. But what Jesus is going to show us next is so important and so wonderful. Because what he's doing now is he's moving us from a life of complaining into a life of communion. 
because it's that life of communion or communing with God is where we experience the abundant life. So let's read verses um, 53 through 59. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Has anybody in here read the, not read these verses before? Any of this new to any of you? No? Every time, I've read these verses so many times, and every time I read them, I just have to step back and go, what are you talking about? I mean, I get it intellectually, but I want to understand it emotionally. I want to understand it in my heart. I want to know it. I want to know it in its reality. And so it's interesting because there's many faiths that have taken this verse and, and said this is what communion is. And they, it, and they say that it's, it's, it's the blood of Jesus and it's the body of Jesus. It's the literal blood and body of Jesus. They, it's part of the communion. But Jesus isn't talking about the communion service. He is talking about communion, but just not the communion service. The word communion is a, is a very important word that we understand. This, what Jesus is speaking here is what we call a hyperbole. And he's using metaphors, as he's been using up until his point, that just as he's the bread of life, he's the bread of having the living bread, it only stands to reason that he's continuing the use of metaphors through here. So it's not a literal body. It's not a literal blood. But he's using hyperbole to draw our attention in, to help us to understand that this is so, so important. Jesus is not giving us a lesson in communion. He's simply stating that we as human beings are living a spiritually hungry life. Whether you are a believer or not a believer, you are spiritually hungry. Coming from India and then into Thailand, going from where there's Hinduism and Jainism and coming to Thailand with Buddhism... Most of the world is spiritually hungry. And they're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for some kind of satisfaction. They're looking for an abundant life. But they're looking all in the wrong places, according to Jesus. The word commune or communion is an interesting word. It's used 22 times in the New Testament. Twelve of those times it's used in the, it's translated fellowship. Four of those times, it's translated partnership. Four of those times, it's translated communion, the act of communion. And then the other two are used in giving. So this word is so much broader than what we might just think of communion, having a communion service. 
it's really the heart of Paul. Paul uses that word more frequently than anyone else. It simply means being at one with. That's what communion is. God created us to be one with him. He created us in his image and in his likeness. He created us with creative abilities that are God-like abilities. He created us to communicate, unlike the animals. He created us with a heart for people and compassion. He created with a moral conscience. He created us with all of these things that we might have communion with him from the very beginning of time. And so it, it really burdens God's heart when we are out of fellowship and out of communion with him. And God is saying, I want to draw you back in. What does it look like? I think Jesus gave us a really beautiful picture of this in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for all believers, and he says this, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. That is a beautiful picture of what true communion is. A life of communing results in a a life filled with forgiveness, deliverance, peace, joy. And it draws us to the bread of life. I read these verses and I get a huge smile on my face because I, I think of the potential. If every person, every person that has professed Christ as their Savior was to move from a life of complaining to a life of communion, communing, what would the world look like? If we'd stop complaining about all the things that are going on in this world and take Christ's perspective and have compassion on those who are weak and weary, like sheep without a shepherd, how much more can we make an effect on this world? The word abide in verse 56 here is an interesting word. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 15. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That word abide simply means to be like-minded with Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ. We're to think like Christ. We're to have the perspective of Christ. We're to be in Christ. Christ is to be in us. There's, so, there's supposed to be such a melding together that everything that we think and everything that we do will, be, will exemplify the life of Christ. This is such a wonderful description of the Christian life. When all Christians are abiding in him and we spend this life of communion with him. This life, it's the same life in which Jesus lived with God the Father. They were always in constant communion with one another. Constant communication. Jesus was always going to the Father and we should always be going to Jesus for everything that we do. Jesus taught these things in the synagogue in Capernaum, and when they heard his words, they all complained. And next week, we're going to see that many of the disciples even left him. And I thought to myself, why did they leave him? And Peter, Peter next week tells us this, you know, Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, are you going to leave me? And Jesus says, where where are we going to go? You have the words of life, the words of eternal life. So in conclusion, I just would ask you today just to pray 
Lord, is my life a life of complaining? If so, Lord, can you move me to this life of communing with you? Because when you are able to do that is when you begin to experience this abundant life. I was uh, flying out of Delhi on Friday morning. I had a, my flight was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I got out of the car, out of the cab, taxi cab, and I ran out. I grabbed my bag. I grabbed my suitcase. There were 355 million people at the airport. I embellish a little bit. There were so many people at that airport. And I'm going through, and I realize I don't have my phone. I left my phone in the cab. And I'm like, oh, no, it's got my credit card in it, you know. And at first, I'm just freaking out, just going, oh, no, what am I going to do? I'm here by myself. How am I going to do this? And so I, I get through all the people, and I, just, and I felt like the Lord, I, I was trying, do I go to Thailand or do I go back to the hotel? That's what I was trying to figure out. And I felt like the Lord says, you're going to Thailand. So I went to the gate that I was supposed to go out. It was closed. They told me I had to go like 200 yards down to gate seven. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, there's so many people. And there's this guy named Sean, an Australian. The, the only guy I saw that I thought was an American. I'm like, can I use your phone? I got to call my wife. And uh, he let me use his phone. And I, I, won't, I won't tell you the whole story, but let me just say, when Jesus speaks... And he gives you a calm in your heart. All of a sudden, you just don't worry. And so I had to go through two hours of security. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, what are, we gonna, what are you going to do with this? How is this going to turn out? What's it going to be like? You know? And my wife's panicking at home. I'm praying for her. Unbeknownst that she and this Australian guy named Sean, he's an angel, by the way. I don't know if he's a real person. He's an angel. Because when I came out of security two hours later, there he is standing with his security guard in my phone. And I'm like, how do you find a phone at the Delhi airport? <laughs> and I just, as I was reflecting on that, I'm like, because I experienced a life of communing, because I was bringing Jesus into this and he was part of it, he ushered me through security. He didn't get me on first class. That was kind of a bummer. But he did... <laughs> get me my phone back. And so I just, I just want to encourage you to live that life, you know, that God would bless you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the word of God. We're so thankful for Jesus. (laughs) We're so thankful the gift of your Holy Spirit, because all of those things, Lord, are pointing us back to you, Jesus the author of life, the bread of life, the giver of life, life in itself, the one that gives us abundant life. And I pray for this congregation, Lord. I I see the fruit of the labor that has been happening here. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would move continually to move mightily in this body. May you minister to them powerfully. May they be used greatly. And may God receive all the glory. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.